You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, 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 hey everyone, it's Bashan, the co-founder of Dope Black Women, and on this week's episode, I am joined by Sheena Lashley, the founder of Black Girls Heal, and we're going to be talking about relationships, so that's healing from them, moving on from them, and obviously dating too. So if you haven't heard of it before, it's an online community that helps black women heal from love addiction and unresolved trauma to make way for the love they want, the love we all want. So, Sheena, we always start by asking guests a question, and we ask the same question on each episode, and that is, what makes you a dope black woman? I am a dope black woman because I'm dedicated to helping black women heal and have that full deserving life that they all, that we all deserve. I love that. I love that. It's about the service that you provide for the community. And what actually inspired you to create the platform Black Girls Hill? Yeah, so a mixture of my own personal journey. So I am the woman that I serve on the platform and just struggling for years of my life, just feeling very other and very different than other people with how I engage in relationships and how I felt about myself. And then uh, serving women, I used to be a therapist. Okay. Um, so serving women as a therapist and just I wanted to create a platform that everybody could learn what I do and what I experience from. And, you know, something I mentioned before is this idea that your platform helps people to heal from love addiction. But what actually is that? What is love addiction? Because is love and love a bad thing? So loving love or being in love with the idea of love and being a hopeless romantic, I always talk about are good things. Um, we all have an innate desire, I believe, to be cherished, to be adored, to be pursued. And so that's innate, that's God-given. But is when love addiction is the persistent obsession of a person, a relationship, or the fantasy of who you want that person or relationship to be, and then mistaking that obsession for love. Mm -hmm. And when you are caught up in more who you want someone to be or what you think they can do for you or Um, the hole that you're trying to fill that really has nothing to do with that person, then you are at risk of self-abandoning and putting yourself in emotional, physical, sexual, even financial danger because of what you hope that that relationship can give you. So would you say maybe like the signs of love addiction is someone who uses love as a way to perhaps fill a void? Oh, absolutely. And a lot of times you don't we don't even know that we are doing it because of what you just, um, the question that you had before, which is like, is there something wrong with loving love? And so we feel mm-hmm. like 
that we were caught between these two extremes of either I need to be walled off and not care and be so independent or when I am in relationships, I love hard is what people say. I love hard, yeah. I'm faithful, I'm loyal, but is to sacrifice. It's when you're sacrificing yourself, that's the issue. Mm. And how do we get rid of this? I, def- I think I've definitely been in that position before where I don't think I outwardly said I loved hard, but I guess my actions were someone who was loving hard in the sense that I was always putting the other person first. And even when it was to my own detriment, um, but I guess sometimes or often in life, you don't really realize something's to your detriment until you're removed from that situation. Mm-hmm. And, or, or you don't have emotions attached to it anymore. You look at it a bit more objectively. Or maybe you, you meet someone like you who allows people to have the resources and the tools to get the signs to un- understand that. But like, how do we get rid of this love addiction? Yeah. So I was talk about how, one, you have to notice that this is a pattern because anyone who's a self-help junkie, they've heard about attachment styles. And so there's anxious attachment and insecure attachment and avoiding attachment, all of that. But um, a lot of times it's when we can see that our relationships, no matter who we're attached to or not attached to, it always either ends up in flames or we are attached to people who aren't really as attached to us. And mm-hmm. there's not ever a reprieve. Sometimes we can compare ourselves to um, friends or family members who, yeah, they may date someone who's not really that good for them, but they have breaks where they are with healthy people and they're they're able to show up. And for people who are love addicts or love avoidance, we don't really have that reprieve. It's either one or the other. And so the way that you get rid of it is one to kind of be able to stop and look at your patterns and see, all right, this is the end result I keep getting and I am the common denominator. And it's not about what I think sometimes happens, which is, it's very easy to go to a place of shame of like, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Am I being stupid? Am I being foolish? Versus what I like to really encourage people to see is that this is just a trauma response. Mm. Uh, So long in my healing journey, what I thought was relationship issues, because I was so good in so many areas of my life. I was um, successful in my career. I had lots of great friends. I was well-traveled and everything, but just my relationships were hard. I just thought, okay, well, since I'm killing it over here, this has to be what people talk about with like dating can be hard and you got to figure out what you want and just practice loving yourself. And And so I thought it was an intellectual problem versus understanding and and seeing that, okay, no, I'm recreating childhood trauma patterns, which I didn't even think that my childhood trauma was that deep. I don't even think years ago Mm -hmm. I even would have called it childhood trauma, to be honest with you, Um, because I felt like I was very fortunate in some ways. Things weren't perfect, but, you know, they were were good, good enough. And so um, looking at your patterns, being honest about that, and then learning about what is it that I feel like I'm trying to get from these relationships or what does this keep going wrong? And just seeing if there's any correlation between what's happening in your romantic partnerships and what's happening, what happened before as growing up. That's really interesting actually, because um, I was talking to some of my friends the other day and, and we kind of said, we kind of all felt like we could relate to us the similar stance of what you were saying. We're like outside of romance and outside of dating everything's great and it's like almost beyond great but in this arena it's I wouldn't even say it's it's failing but it's not at a standard or at a place it would kind of want it to be so I guess what what does that sort of introspection look like like what should we be asking ourselves when we realize like like relationships aren't winning for us Mm -hmm. yeah so I 
I would try to be honest about your feelings about it first. And I love TikTok. Those who follow, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking about it all the time these days. Um, and a lot of the people on my For You page are like really talking about like their dating woes. And I think it's very easy to talk about, well, I know what I'm deserve, what I deserve. And um, if they're not worth it, I'll cut them off and keep moving on and all that stuff. But no one really talks about the hurt that happens and the disappointment and the sadness and even the fear that happens when you've gone either extended period of time being single or you've been in a relationship and you thought it was going to work out or you gave so much and just how demoralizing that can be because mm-hmm. we're not we're not supposed to feel that low we're supposed to be able to be resilient and and um and uh feel strong and feel rejuvenated and you know own our worth but really is in those those deeper emotions, those honest emotions about feeling hurt and betrayed and like sitting in that and just noticing, okay, were there any other points in my life that I felt this type of pain? What am I afraid of by this heartbreak or what fear does this bring up for me? Does this bring up an internalized fear that I maybe I haven't had words to because I've been so successful in other areas that I'm not lovable? or that I'm easy to be forgotten, or that I get looked over, or that other people get things that I don't get, or they want me for a little bit, or they only want me for my body. Like, what is it? What are those internal core thoughts that we, that you really don't give words to? And usually, especially if you're someone who's in your head a lot or so used to performing, it's only by you being in touch with those emotions and becoming accustomed with those that you'll be able to build the language around it. Yeah. And something you touched on a minute ago was this idea around love avoidance, which I feel like maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, is like the opposite of love addiction. Mm -hmm. So they are two sides of the same coin. So sometimes people think that they're different, but they usually work hand in hand. So if love love addiction is persistent obsession of someone and just, you know, becoming needless and wantless to stay in the relationship, when you're love avoidant is when you will systematically put up walls to keep people on the outside, um, because to be attached to someone feels a little bit emotionally intrusive, or it feels overwhelming and smothering, even when you may simultaneously want to have connection, just the idea of having someone take your independence or take your freedom is a little bit too much. And so what I find is that people may feel like they identify with one of those more than the others. But when it comes to relationships, because they're both intimacy disorders, depending on who's in front of you, you will switch between the two. So if I'm a lot, if I meet someone, if I haven't done my healing stuff and I'm still recreating my um, distancing patterns, if I meet someone who is unavailable for me and uh, is the type that like, will have a great love affair, but they'll get flaky I am more likely to become love addicted with them because it, they are not going to be available for me. Meanwhile, if I meet someone who is healthy and someone who's like, hey, Sheena, how you doing? And they call me all the time and they are they are consistent and they want me to show up with my feelings. And then I am more likely to become love avoidant because for me, that may be internalized or it may be experienced as he's doing too much or <laughs> he's, he's trying too hard or give me space, you know, versus I've never related to that before. <laughs> yeah. Versus if someone likes you, they want to be around you. That's a good thing, right? It shouldn't be hard. And with love avoidance, yeah, just out of interest, if you met someone and you feel like that's the character that they are displaying, 
would you then decide that you should remove yourself from that situation? If me, myself, and I met someone who was kind of putting up walls and everything, would I separate myself, you're asking? Yeah, because when basically, when you said that, I was thinking of a situation I was in before, where I was with this guy, I was talking to this guy, and um, he was like, outwardly telling me he likes me, he was actively showing me he liked me, and then he would like do the opposite as well. So he would say one thing one day, like at the top of the spectrum, and then the next day he would be like, oh yeah, but it's, it's just not that. And I'll just be like, what? And in the end, I was like, I just, this is just not, like that that hot and cold, like relationship, that turmoil, that's not something that's for me. So I just left on that basis alone. Um, but I remember talking to someone, they were like, well, why didn't you just like work through it with them? And I was like, I didn't think that's my responsibility. Who, t- wait, who told you that? What, what gender were they? Just curious. Oh, obviously they were a man. <laughs> <laughs> Does, does this man have healthy relationships himself? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know this person personally. It's like someone that I worked with. Okay. Okay. The color. Okay. Um, to answer your question, yes. Uh, you, you have to trust what people are showing. Like people, and that's what gets us caught up in relationships that are unhealthy for us is because people will literally show you and tell you who they are. Like that classic Maya Angela quote, they will, they will literally show you and tell you, and you will start to make justifications. And so connecting that back to your trauma, some of us have relationship patterns or childhood traumas where we may have had people who were physically present, but didn't show us show up for us emotionally and other ways that we need it. So we'll be with partners who look good on paper, who show up in some ways, but in other ways they don't. And we will minimize the impact of that and try to work through it and compromise. And meanwhile, we are not being taken care of the way that we deserve to be. What would you say then is a healthy and balanced relationship? Like, what does that look like? How do you get the balance right between love addiction and love avoidance? I really try to teach people how to be healed and loved women. And so the opposite of those looks like instead of being love addicted to be love balanced, instead of being love avoidant to be love available. And there's a third component we haven't talked about, but a lot of us may live in love deprivation, which is where we'll self-deny like, um, I'm fine like this. Um, I'll spend X amount of years, lots amount of years, focus on my career, focus on taking care of my kids. And we'll live in deprivation from being emotionally nurtured, um, and but really like living in your full love worthiness. And so to be love available and love um, balanced, that looks like both partners being able to be honest about what they want, being open and upfront about their feelings, um, moving, initiating and moving closer, both people um, and both people not neglecting what it is that they're looking for. Because I think sometimes especially like, uh, you know, I already mentioned those of us who may feel like our clock is ticking or, you know, maybe I've been too picky before and I'm trying to give people a chance. We'll get with people that we know aren't the right fit, just trying to make it work. Um, and you're just setting yourself up for disappointment, setting yourself up to be resentful. That person's going to feel that you're not invested. And mm. so just really being honest on all fronts is what it looks like. Yeah, I, there's a lot of things you said just then that I relate to. Um, I did a podcast episode with two of my close friends quite recently about um, turning 25 and what that means. And something we all kind of were saying that we was experiencing was, I guess, this new, not rush, but this almost pressure to settle down and be in a relationship. And one of my friends was like, I was saying to one of my friends that before I was very much like, oh, I'm going to be the rich aunt. Like, I'm going to just 
focus on my career. I'm just going to go shopping. I'm just going to do all these things. And it was all these things that basically didn't allow me to rely on anyone. It just involved myself. And then my friend was like, I was saying to my friend, I don't feel like that anymore. Like now I feel like actually I am open to that idea of receiving love in that way, in, in like a romantic way. I am open to like sharing that with someone. And she was saying she kind of, she was saying that she related to that too. But I do feel like though, within the black community, there is sometimes a pressure to get married or to get settled down, especially when you hit 25. There's people asking you questions in your family, like, oh, when will you marry? Or where's your boyfriend? Or this and that. And I feel like sometimes I see people telling me things like this that are from people who I feel like have settled, for example. Or like, I might bring a scenario to them and I'm like, oh, this is a scenario. And then they'll be like, yeah, but that's fine. Like, give them a chance. And I'm like, but why would I give them a chance? Like, how does this make sense? Like, I, so I feel like, how? my question is, how do you decipher whether you're being picky or you're like having standards? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So first I want to just validate what you're saying about just that timeline, that timeline of 25 and you're supposed to um, make something happen, make something shake. And it's like, well, ain't nobody around to like make it happen. <laughs> or it doesn't feel like there's anybody around. And I think this is just a comment. I don't really have a solution, but just as the as society has grown and changed and social media and dating apps and just the, it's like we're all trying to play catch up from the timeline that we most of us learned as little kids. Like you get married by this age, you get finished school by this age, you get a job by this age. But when it comes to romantic partnerships, that's something that you can't really control unless you are going to settle or be with someone who's not unhealthy for you. Like you can, anyone can go out there and get a relationship, but would you be able to get a relationship with someone that's going to be a good match for you? That's, that's the question. And so I do really sympathize for those of us who are doing our work and showing up and we're ready, but we are fighting the tides of, um, I'll just use the word again, society, that's, um, there's a lot of broken people or there's a lot of um, brokenness in how we date and partner now that it feels like you're fighting an up current against. Uh, So that's why it is really important that you are clear about what you want and you're honest about your feelings so that when those red flags show up, you don't waste your time um, with people who aren't doing their part. But as far as like how to figure out if you're being, if you're having standards or being picky, going going back to being a love avoidant, when you are love avoidant, you are very, very good at justifying why people don't work out. Um, if anyone were to ask you why you broke up with this person or why you cut someone off, you could write a dissertation and it will sound very functional. It will sound very <laughs> rational. It may even um, end with some amens. But when you, look back, <laughs> when you look back at your relationship history, you need to look and see, okay, how many relationships have I cut off? And something I didn't point out is um, even though I said that we will have areas in some some areas of our life that we excel in, and it's just our romantic relationships, wherever we go, there we are. So whatever uh, problems that we have with being intimate and showing up as our best self or showing up as our vulnerable self, because we're usually really good at wearing that mask and showing up as really capable, 
we will see those same type of issues in our other relationships too. So romantic relationships, I teach from just to get people in the door. But from there, we can start to say, okay, how are your family relationships looking? How do you handle conflict and dissolution there? How do you handle friendships with people who disappoint you? Are you the mom of the group and you're very codependent with your friendships there? Or do you actually have good boundaries? Are you friends with people who are reciprocal to you, right? And so you start to look at all of your relationships and you're like, okay, do I have quick cut off limits with friends and romantic partners and, and family members? Am I able to withstand and actually communicate to people what I want and what I need? Am I able to work through it? And so if the answer is no, then that might be a place where not that you have too many standards, but it's okay to have standards, but do you know how to actually be vulnerable and let people in? Or is it easier for you to be in that control uh, which is kind of what I heard you say when you were saying like before this age, you were like, I'm going to be rich auntie. I'm going to do all this. Like when we have those type of life plans with things that we can actually mold and shape, it's safer for us. But when it comes to relationships, it, there, there's a risk. <laughs> there's a risk there, you know. Something you mentioned just there, which I found was interesting, was boundaries. And I feel like boundaries is something that I'm quite good at setting like generally. Um, but there was a psychologist on TikTok and she made this reel that basically said she makes boundaries based on her actions rather than other pa- other people's actions. So it will be like, I don't stay in conversations where I'm spoken to in a certain way versus don't speak to me this way. Uh, I agree. I, what, what she said and what I'm saying, they, they're both the same. They're just different perspectives of how you may look at it that may make you feel a little bit more empowered. It may stop you from going down the road of being controlling or being um, um, codependent. So so she's talking about just internal boundaries, which is really important to, why it's really important for you to know what you want and what your standards are and what your feelings are. Because if I am very in touch with myself and I know that when I start to feel hurt, which is a sub, sub emotion of anger and um, pissed off or disrespected, which are usually the top emotions that we go to if we're not in touch with our emotions, because it's easier and is more empowering to feel angry, and and because it gives us action behind it and fire behind it and helps us be protected. Versus when you talk to me, that makes me feel very little, and that makes me feel very small, and it makes me feel um, unloved. Right? Like those are not usually the words that people want to use when they're talking with people that they're in relationship with. Um, They really want to just cut to the chase and say, don't talk to me like that. Right. And um, is it really important for you to know what those emotions are? Because if I'm actually in relationship with someone who is available for me, a friend, a lover, a family member, and they truly care about me, if I come to them and I say something like, when you talk to me like that, it makes me feel unloved. That's going to get a different response than don't talk to me like that. Like the same, same intention, but the, the energy around it, the ask around it, one is an invitation to like hear me and to show up for me and for them to respond with, I never wanted you to feel that way. And the other one is, well, what, how do you want me to talk to you? And they might even change their behavior, but they don't really know why it's, it's more of like that dominance behind it. Right. And so, um, Again, that's why it's really important to have that core connection to yourself and the willingness to want to share that. One of the, I mean, the thing that I work the most with 
my love avoidant ladies with is one, being able to be in touch with those softer emotions that they've always had. Like my avoidant ladies are tough on the outside, but they're the most sensitive ones because they are human. And um, it's about letting them know that there's not weakness and being able to express that. But to what that psychologist was saying, when I feel unloved and when I feel like someone is not responding in the way that I need to feel loved, then it's my responsibility to move around versus me trying to teach them and get them to do something differently. Yeah. And I, and I definitely think what you said, you know, when you said a moment ago that you wouldn't say like necessarily like, don't speak to me this way, but you would explain the reason why. Um, I feel like that's something that I do now, but I didn't really do before because this idea of like, tap, cause it's, it makes you feel vulnerable, doesn't it? To a degree, it's, it's tapping into a level of um, vulnerability. And I feel like that's something I've noticed when dating men that they don't always show and I find it frustrating. And now, because I know it's something that I feel like I need, it's something that if I don't see it, I just go, basically. Um, but for, for people who themselves realise that they can't tap into their own vulnerability, they can't show that softer, that softer side that you was kind of just speaking about there, um, what are some things that they can do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I want to say that it's really important that when you are in relationships with anyone, man, man woman, otherwise, trans, transgender, non-binary, that you show up for yourself, but also you have to be intentional about hearing how they communicate as well. Um, I think even with the most emotionally available men, the way that they're social socialized, the way that they um, just their demeanor is, they're not going to talk in the way that cisgender women do if you're in a heterosexual relationship. It just is, is going to be different. And so it really, ha- you have to be able to hear the human and, um, sh- and the same way that you're asking for them to hold space and to be available for you and listen and learn you, you have to be open to doing the same for them. And I think for women who just biologically were more verbose. I mean, there's tons of studies about how little girls talk more than little boys do. We can have expectations that um, set us up for disappointment when we may have a good partner. Now, I don't think that's what you're talking about at the same time. Like there are absolutely men who are emotionally unavailable and try to like um, pass it off as, well, you know, I've been through some things and I'm working on it. And people waste your time when they're actually not working on it. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what I was referring to, which is why I left immediately. Because I'm, re- I'm really happy you're working on it, but the the time frame that you said this happened was a very long time ago, and I'm not sure you're actively working on it. So that's why for me it was like, let me leave. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They're just trying to waste your time and play the sympathy card. But um, <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is has a sim- it's a simple sentence, but it's really hard to do, which is. Um, getting in touch with what your emotions are. And if you've spent your whole life um, operationalizing the things you do, like if you see a problem, you find the mechanics on how to solve it. Um, If you really do only operate out of those like top three or four emotions, I feel angry, I feel upset, I feel happy, I feel sad, and not really any of the vulnerable things underneath. the, The first relationships that you have to build that vulnerability with is with yourself. And so that can look like obviously going to therapy and talking about it, journaling, listening to teachers and educators that might put words and labels to what you're feeling that you didn't know was actually underneath it so that you can build that um, emotional intelligence for yourself. And then once you're able to withstand that, because sometimes um, I keep repeating it because I hear it so often, 
people will have shame around having emotions. Like they want to be able to, okay, I know what the emotion is. So let me run to a solution because it, it feels vulnerable. Even within yourself, it feels weak to, to feel that way. It feels um, very exposing. We have to get to a place where we see that emotions are good for us and not like in a sappy, like soft way. Like, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, things work out for the best. And it, it's so, so much of a cliche. We don't really connect to it, but truly Emotions are part of that full human experience. And when we don't let ourselves be vulnerable with that, we miss out on um, the pleasures of life, of going as deep as we can into love. Because if we can't feel those emotions, we can't really, uh, we, we can meet the most amazing person in the world, but we will still have walls up because to go deep into that intimacy is risky. And we won't have any muscle memory or experience of letting ourselves get to that place. So we will block it. We'll self-sabotage it. We'll run from it. We'll accuse them of cheating. We'll look for a reason to, to cut it off. We'll say, well, this is this one little thing. I didn't want somebody with ears as big as yours. Like we'll find a reason to break it off because we're not aware that we're falling too deeply and we're not ready for it. Yeah. And when it comes to healing, in your opinion, do you think you can heal whilst you're in a relationship or whilst you're dating? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to. Uh, it, it is. I, I feel like I probably should talk about this more because um, healing, you, you, there's no mountaintop. Like there's no apex that we get to where we're like, okay, box check, no more healing, no more growth. Like we are going to forever be in a place where we are learning and unlearning what we're going through. And being in relationships is what exposes that. If you are someone who's single for any amount of time by choice or by circumstance, and you, you're doing therapy three times a week, you're like going to yoga, you're doing all this stuff. Once you get into a romantic partnership or even with family or friendships, to be in relationship is to learn, is to have a mirror about just exposing insecurities or perspectives that can grow and change. And so you have to heal in relationships. That's what they're for. And what does healing look like practically? Like outside of perhaps getting therapy, what what are some practical things that people can do to heal? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a great question because obviously I used to be a therapist. Well, I don't know if obviously, I don't know if this part of the intro. I used to be a therapist for over a decade and then I transitioned to coaching. So I really do try to teach about getting access to healing resources um, in different areas too, because there's, there's healers in different disciplines, but um, it looks like you being intentional about what are those pain points. Once you start to build that awareness around, okay, maybe it's hard for me to be in touch with this certain insecurity, or maybe I notice that when I have these type of conversations with people, I get really triggered. Or um, I notice that in my relationships, it's hard for me to practice forgiveness. Or when I'm around these type of people, I tend to regress. Like I'm really strong. I have a strong personality, but around these type of people, I really get really sheepish. Once you see what those areas are that you look for access and skills and support to talk through and work through what it is that's going on with you. The reason why I'm saying talk through and not just work through is because there are tons of amazing books. There's tons of amazing podcasts. There's so many solo resources for people, but there is no... There's no replacement for when you're talking with someone about something that you think is just completely normal. And they're like, hold on, pause. Wait a minute. Let's let's run that back. And what happened? What did they say to you? Because again, our, how we grow up is our template. It is what 
it is what was common for us. And so what could be dysfunctional, we may not even be aware that's dysfunctional, which is why when it keeps happening, we're like, why does this keep working out this way? I don't get it. But someone else can tell you. I always feel like as well, I don't know if you can relate to this, that sometimes I say something out loud and it doesn't have to be about romantic relationships, just in general. I might have a dilemma and I go to talk to someone, let's say my mom, I'll explain my story and at the end I'll be like, oh, I don't need your advice anymore. Like I've actually figured it out. Right. But sometimes it's like when I speak about things, I kind of am able to view it objectively or I'm able to like see it for what it is rather than emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Talking out loud is such, I mean, which is why therapy is amazing. I mean, your therapist should be a facilitator and let you process out loud what's going on if you were to talk to a therapist. But just like you said, your mom, your pastor, whoever it is, if you have a safe space to work out what you're needing, sometimes it's just seeing that that was gives you the freedom from it. Yeah. And you mentioned forgiving and actually someone from the Dope Black Woman Safe Space um, sent this question in and they said, is forgiving an ex or oneself essential to healing from relationship trauma? I think forgiveness absolutely helps you move forward and move through things. Um, there is that cliche that says, you know, when you don't forgive someone, you're over here struggling, taking rat poison and waiting for them to die. And there will absolutely, that is so true. I mean, especially if you're connected to like um, a family member or an ex who's a narcissist or someone, and you're just waiting for them to get their just desserts or to be hurt in the same way that you do, uh, a narcissist is not going to feel that way. No matter how much you will it to happen, that's part of the disorder that they have. And so um, forgiveness really is for you. Is it necessary? Is that because that almost sounds like gatekeeping, like, well, I can't have any blessings and I can't have any happiness unless I get to this place of forgiveness. And I just feel like our journey is our own and it takes what it takes for as long as it takes. So I just really encourage people to to do what you need to do and feel what you need to feel and feel that anger, which is most likely legitimate and justified um, and feel it all the way through and then see what you need at the end of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And for people who, um, they might have had some trauma before when it comes to dating, but they may be afraid to start dating again and kind of get back into the dating world. What advice do you have? Um, I would say to start. (laughs) (laughs) I would say to start because, and the reason I say that is because, um, it's kind of like we were talking about what I was saying about healing. Like this, sometimes we wait into this place where they're, we're quote unquote ready, which is really code for I'm going to be so on top of it and so clear and so beautiful and so snatched and so perfect that I will never be rejected, that no one can deny me, that I won't even care if they flake out on me. And girl, that's that you're that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because there's weirdos everywhere. Um, there's weirdos in suits and there's weirdos that are blue collar and um and also, I mean, to be, like I said, to be in a relationship, to be in partnership involves risk. So there may be people that you get butterflies for and it doesn't work out, not because they break your heart, but because God made wonderful people everywhere. And so you don't have to be with every wonderful person. You get the opportunity to choose. So there may be some soft heartbreaks along the way, mm-hmm. but you're not going to know that. And you're not going to know how to work through that. And you're not going to know how to build that confidence and build that resilience and find love and connection in your friendships and in your family until you actually start that process. And um, like I said, it's not going to be a magic day that 
you're ready for it. And if anything, if you're someone who does kind of have that time clock in your head, uh, if, like especially like around family or kids or something like that, um, don't let your fear keep you from starting to build the life that you desire today. Yeah, that, that goes like perfectly into my next question, which is also from the group. Um, so someone basically said that they've noticed with themselves that they self-sabotage. So they might meet someone, and we spoke about this at the start of the podcast, actually. They might meet someone who's great and they know we'll treat them well, but then they'll run away. And they'll kind of, they'll kind of just trying to process like, why is it that they do that? Yeah, so the short verse is they're not used to being happy, mm-hmm. um, which is a very condensed way of saying that um, when we have a lot of trauma in our life, which again, can be little T trauma. So maybe you don't have to necessarily have been physically or sexually abused, but if you've had a lot of emotional disappointment or people who didn't really show up for you in certain ways or just praise just for praise sake, like if you had to earn love and be smart enough or be pretty enough or be the best, like the best athlete or something, you're not used to people loving you just because, just because you're you Mm -hmm. um, without you giving something back, giving sex back, giving um, time back, money back. And so that is alarming to you, alarming to your subconscious. And so even if you've been on your knees praying for this all the time, once you get it, it can be like, wait, this is too easy. This is too much. Your body is used to the other shoe dropping. So when they don't drop the ball, you'll figure out a way to run because you can't tolerate um, the peace and the calm. So you have to learn how to receive and you have to learn how to be happy. And that life does not, life and love does not have to be a struggle. It's so funny you say that because you see so much like quotes online, don't you, about like struggle love or you see I, was, I saw someone the other day, someone tweeted something like, oh, when people get married, the, the husband or the wife always says like, oh, we went through so much to get here and blah, blah, blah. And they felt like the person, that like when people say that, they're like referring to cheating. Obviously, it's not always that, but they're referring to cheating. And I was saying that this idea that you, have to, you kind of have to struggle and tuggle with the person you love to get happiness at the end is something that we need to like get rid of, basically. Yeah, and it, it, it combines like a couple things we were talking about before. The feedback that your friend, your coworker gave you about X guy about cutting one off and like working through it. And then also around like what does it look like with two healthy people being in a relationship? Two healthy people are still gonna be rubbing up against each other, right? There's still gonna be conflict and things that you will have to um, work through and maybe even compromise on, but the emotional availability, the way that you show up for each other, the intentionality, that's the stuff that doesn't necessarily waver. But uh, yeah, I mean, the struggle of two people who grew up two totally different ways with totally different household, sometimes totally different cultures, learning to come together with totally different dreams you're going to have to negotiate that, but that's different than normalizing infidelity, like you said, or someone putting doing all the emotional weight, one person becoming the parent in the relationship and the other one like just dragging their feet and not showing up. Like that type of struggle is not what we are called to be in, mm. right? And you have a choice. You absolutely have a choice on your life and what you get to choose. And I really encourage people to understand that Um, It doesn't matter how long you've been with someone. It doesn't matter how much y'all have invested together. You, you 
get to be a narrator in your life chapters and you get to look forward and say, okay, if this is how it's always going to be, is this what I want? And to go down the different rabbit holes of saying, okay, if this is not what I want, do I try therapy? Do I try this? Do I try that? And if there is no solution for this, is this something that I can live long-term in and just accept this person as is and accept what's going on as is? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. And no matter what you choose, it's okay as long as you're choosing it. And it's not that you feel you're doing it out of fear because you feel like it's your only option or you feel obligated or you're doing it to take care of someone who is playing victim in your relationship. There's, you know, I hope that made sense. No, it, it does. And I wanted to ask you, obviously you've worked with lots of different women. Um, in, in your opinion or from your experience, is there any like common trends or consistent patterns that kind of come up amongst black women? Yeah. So common trends are the one I was just saying, which is a lot of women, a lot of black women, especially unfortunately in our community will find that they end up being their partner's mother, um, in so many ways, uh, in them trying to help build them up. And sometimes it's not even building them up financially or, you know, career wise, a lot of times it is, but sometimes it's emotionally. And so, you know, that script that we are kind of joking about before of like, you know, I've been through some things and I'm working on it and all that stuff, like that emotional laziness, they will, women will eat their emotional needs and try to live without it for the hope and the potential that this person will show up. And meanwhile, they are dying. Um, meanwhile, they are feeling super neglected. They are feeling super abandoned and uh, it's impacting the relationship. I see lots of narcissistic relationships uh, because you'll go, you may go from a relationship where you're emotionally starved and then you meet someone who is love bombing you, especially if they look really good on paper. Uh, and you will fall into a partnership where you're trying to justify and make excuses for that. Uh, especially if you had a parent who's a narcissist. And I feel like you know, narcissism is kind of a buzzword these days, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. You know, some people are being called narcissists who are not narcissists or just people who did something selfish and just like we do selfish things sometimes. But um, with that said, many of us are finding that we have had narcissistic family members that have primed us to be in narcissistic relationships. So that's absolutely something that happens as well. And obviously we have the Black Girls Hill uh, podcast. We also have the online space where you have lots of resources on there too but what books would you recommend for anyone who kind of wants to heal from any love trauma that they've experienced i really try to encourage people to start building healing circles which are just groups with their friends or loved ones where um in addition to you know kiki and going to brunch and talking about things that are going on in your everyday life to start talking about some of these vulnerable topics and start getting some practice and muscle memory about talking about these deeper emotions. So we have a workbook on Amazon, um, our healing circle workbook that has 12 different discussions for you to have with your friends about vulnerability, about fear, about self-love and um, just processing and talking through that. And also gives you guidance and how to show up for people. Meaning sometimes I have to teach my students two things. Well, it's one thing, but it serves two purposes. The first one is how to ask people for what you want. And then also how to make sure that you're staying present with what other people want. Um, I even had a conversation with a really great girlfriend who's su super wonderful recently. And I was telling her about something that's going on in my life. And she went straight to giving me advice when I didn't need all that. I just needed her to listen. And so it really teaches you how to, okay, 
ask your friend or ask the person in a circle, what is it that you're needing from me? Are you needing feedback and advice? Or are you just needing me to listen? And it helps us, especially those of us, I'm an oldest child. So same. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. so I had to learn how to not rest to solutions, but just, some, and it helped that I was a therapist, but um, how to, sometimes people just need you to listen and you have to sit on your hands and watch people feel their emotions and not fix it. And that's the best thing that you can do, right? Instead of going into second mother mode. And so, I, th- I think as well, when you are the older sibling or when you have kind of played that mother role to someone, you do naturally fall into that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I noticed a pattern where like, I, may, I might have had a friend and I would give them advice and then they wouldn't take it. Obviously, that's fine. You don't have to take it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not qualified to give anyone advice. Um, <laughs> but it was in my head, I started thinking to myself, okay, cool. When this is happening, did my friend actually want the advice in the first place? And when I when I clocked that, that's when I started intentionally asking before when my friend wanted to rant or talk about something, hey, are you calling to vent or do you want advice? Mm-hmm. And then I know kind of how to engage. Do you get, do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I found that conversations were just better in both of our time as well. And also when I go to my friends, like sometimes I don't want your advice. Sometimes I just want a soundboard. And other times I need you to like actively listen and to give me advice that you think would be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. All of that. So yeah, it, it protects your emotional sanctity too. Cause I know you say you don't care, but sometimes I would care when I gave people advice and they would just be running their mouth. I'm like, girl, what you calling me for if you're not going to do it? And I had to realize, okay, this is more about me. And me trying to control the outcome or try to help. And so once I took myself out of it and was just their friend, it really helped out a lot more. So so that's one resource I really encourage y'all to check out. As far as books by other authors, there's a book called Attached by Amir Levine, uh, which was a book that I really stuck to when I first started my love addiction journey. Mm-hmm. Um, because I felt like it was the best book at the time that broke down the different attachment styles um, and what it looked like to be securely attached versus operating in anxious attachment or operating in avoidant attachment. So I really love that book. Um, and then also the last book that I would really encourage you to check out is Set Boundaries, Found, Find Peace by Nedra Tawab. I think I'm saying her last name incorrectly, um, <laughs> but she is a very, very popular um, black psychotherapist on the interwebs and uh, she is an expert in boundaries. And so there's great there. Now, those books are not necessarily about love addiction and love avoidance. Like I teach about there, there is a book called facing love addiction by Pia Melody, um, which is like one of the core books that people typically find, um, which is really great about for breaking down what love addiction may look like. It doesn't really give a lot of solutions on what to do instead, um, but that's a good book if you're just wanting to learn more outside of our resources that we have um, on our platform. Well, Sheena, thank you so much for joining us on the Dope Black Woman podcast this week. Um, I really enjoyed speaking to you. I feel like we delved into so many different things and I could probably speak about one thing for like five hours of you. Um, But yeah, hopefully it gives people a flavor of the resources that are available and the type of stuff that you can talk about because you've got an amazing podcast that people can also check out too. Yes, thank you. And if anyone would like to work together, we definitely have programs that you can either do self-study or work directly with us. And so um, would love to support y'all. Thanks guys for listening. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.